Father, help us to behold you today and every day, not just in times of Christmas seasons, God, but each day that you give us life, that you give us breath. God, fill us with your joy. Let us be people of joy. Let us be a church that is joyful, no matter what we may face, no matter what circumstances may come our way. Because we know, God, that our joy is found in you and in this promise that you are with us. So we cry out to you this morning. We cry out to you and call on you as Emmanuel. Help our hearts and our minds to fully grasp and understand the depth of that promise, the depth of that comfort, the depth of that reality that you are with us. And so we long for that day, God, for it to be eternal. We long for that day that it will be made perfect. And so in the waiting, in the exile, no matter what may come our way, God, we long for you and we cry out to you and we ask you to fill us with your joy. God, we thank you for a gospel that is able to achieve just that. Fill us with your spirit, fill us with your presence this morning as we once again marvel at the birth of Christ. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen and amen. All right. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Everybody having a good Christmas season so far? Amen. Let me ask that again. Everybody having a good Christmas season so far? Yeah. Come on, man. It's Christmas. And today we get to talk about joy. Uh, as we've listened uh, or listened to the Advent reading and light the candle of joy, it's a great conversation for us to have, especially at the Christmas season. And it really begins uh, with this question we've been asking for the last several weeks. What road are you on? Uh, what road would you say you're on at this point in your life, this season of life? We've talked about that all of us navigate different sorts of experiences, different sorts of roads and journeys, but, but we're definitely on a road to somewhere. And that's part of what we tried to accentuate with this Advent series that we have titled On the Road to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is emblematic. It's, it's symbolic of this divine encounter, this moment when heaven meets earth and we're introduced to Jesus. And, and so that's the road that we're on. The question that I want you to be asking throughout the course of this series is, what does that road look like? And are you truly traveling to Bethlehem or are you trying to run away from it? And is that a road that is filled with joy and opportunity and goodness or is it sorrow and difficulty or whatever it may be? My hope is that we can figure out how do we navigate that road in a manner that brings glory to Christ. And so what we've done over the last several weeks is we've taken a look at the birth narrative and we've focused in on different components of the birth narratives, different, different figures within the birth narrative and evaluated what was their road like to Bethlehem and what are the lessons that we can extract from their journey and what they went through. So we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth a couple of weeks ago and saw that their road to Bethlehem was one that was actually filled with wounds, with certain pain and difficulty. They had longed for a child a child of their own, and it had never happened. It had brought shame and disgrace, and, and so much so that it had led them to this place where it was almost impossible for them to see the hand of God in their midst, right? They, they, they were still guarded and, and so wounded by that pain that they struggled to see it. And so what we learned, though, from their story was that they remained faithful, right? It was, it was described that they were blameless in, in their pursuit and in their commandments and following the commands of God. And so they continued to press into God, trusting in him, even when it hurt. And so their road, yes, it was filled with pain and wounds, but it was also filled with hope. Hope for their own child, hope for this 
Christ child that they begin to hear about. And we learned that that's how you navigate those roads of wounds and pain, is to maintain that hope and pressing into the Lord. Last week we talked about Mary and Joseph, and we saw that their road was one that was filled with homelessness, that they, they were literally refugees moving from one place to the next, constantly searching for rest, constantly searching for safety. They were looking for peace. That was our emphasis last week. And, and what we discovered in, in their journey was that we were able to look at their lives and though they were constantly searching for that peace and for that safety, they, they constantly, courageously, and faithfully obeyed the word of the Lord. And, and the lesson for us there was that God's plan, his word is always more important than our comfort. But when you dig deeper and you watch the story unfold, you also discover not only is his plan more important than our comfort, it's the source of our comfort. It's only in his plan and in his will that we find the rest and the peace that our souls truly long for. And so that was something that we learned last week. Today, we're going to turn our attention to the shepherds, and we're going to talk about the road towards joy. Next week, we're going to focus on the wise men next Sunday morning, and we'll take a look at, at that final point of emphasis. Uh, but before we get to the wise men today, we turn our attention to the shepherds and focus on this conversation of joy. And, and joy seems to be such a natural subject at the time of Christmas, isn't it? I mean, I feel like so much of the Christmas season is associated with joy and things that supposedly bring us joy. You got Christmas lights, you got Christmas cookies, you got Christmas presents, you got Christmas events, you got Christmas parties, Christmas musicals, Christmas services, like over and over again, all these things that bring us joy. Or do they? Right? Like, that's really the question. Is what you feel and experience during that time, is that really joy? Is that really what we have? Does it actually provide what, what we long for? And that's the question that I hope that we can wrestle with today is what is this joy? How is it found? And then what do we do with it once we have it? And so to answer those questions, we'll be looking at the shepherds. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. And where we'll be picking up in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, follows immediately the story of Mary and Joseph that we covered last week. And so uh, right after Mary and Joseph move to Bethlehem and they, they give birth to Jesus and they lay him in a manger, we have this incredible depiction of how the story unfolds through the eyes of the shepherds and the interaction between the angels and the shepherds. And it sets them on this road to joy. So let's take a look at it starting in verse 8. We'll read through verse 20. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
Okay, so my plan for us to unpack this part of the birth narrative is to first just better understand the context, better understand these shepherds. Why do we have shepherds as a part of this story? And then have that lead us into a better understanding and reflection of joy and our understanding of what joy actually is and in the source of joy in our life. And once we have those things uh, kind of under wraps, we'll transition to the back half of this story and see how it does it impact us when we begin to search for joy, and then what do we do when we find it? And, and there's some great lessons that I think are applicable to our lives, especially this time of year and really beyond. And so the story begins with shepherds, right? Verse 8, and then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Uh, the question that we should ask ourselves is, why shepherds? Right, like here's, here's this incredible event, the birth of Jesus, and, and God has this plan to make this announcement of the significance of this event, and he chooses to reveal these angels and proclaim this incredible announcement to a group of shepherds. Why shepherds? And there are a lot of different theories and suggestions as to why that might have been chosen by God. A couple that I came across in my studies this week, number one, uh, that I saw one suggested idea was that this ties us to an understanding of, of King David, right? So much of the birth narrative uh, accentuates the Davidic line. Uh, you have the reference to Bethlehem. You have the understanding of David's line, and David was a shepherd. And so that this could be part of the reason for God to choose shepherds. Another theory, a uh, suggested theory out there, is that the idea of shepherding is a common theme that you see throughout the scriptures of how God cares for his people. You see it especially in the Old Testament. It becomes kind of a, a responsibility of those who are caring for the church. They're, they're called to be shepherds of God's people. Uh, but you see it even in the Old Testament. Famous places like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so it naturally fits to kind of the character of God and how he cares for his people. Uh, both those suggestions, I think, have some degree of merit, but it was the third one that really um, I think I would lean towards and I would emphasize for us this morning, which is the idea that shepherds were really kind of social outcasts. Uh, to be a shepherd uh, didn't carry a high level of like a prestigious reputation. It was, it was an occupation that was of a lowly estate, basically. You didn't have a lot of people, didn't have a lot of parents walking around Bethlehem going, yeah, my son over there, he's, he's a shepherd. That's right. Worked really hard for it. Don't know how he did, did it all on his own. Like nobody was bragging about their kids becoming shepherds. It was viewed in a very low status. And part of that was because uh, shepherds were seen to be untrustworthy. Um, part of the reason they were social outcasts is because the very nature of their work made them ceremonially unclean. And so you didn't want to be around shepherds, right? You didn't trust shepherds. They were the social outcasts of the day. And, and that, to me, resonates with how God works, right? It, it's how he works in the birth narrative, but it also just seems to be how he works in general. But when you look at the birth narrative, right, you have the king of kings, the lord of lords, born in a manger. We talked about that last week. Like laid to rest in a feeding trough, right? He's already chosen a lowly state for the, for the king of kings to be born. And so now he brings social outcasts into the equation as well. Right, that this is how God often works. He is choosing the weak to shame the strong, the, the foolish to shame the wise, the lowly to shame the elite. This is what helps accentuate that this is his work. And this seems to coincide with his character. This is part of why the shepherds are brought into this story. These, are, these developments are happening in the most unlikely of places. Now, I think that's relevant for us in our conversation today on joy, because if there were ever a group of people 
a demographic, a subset of those that might be searching for joy, wouldn't it be the outcast? Right? If there was ever someone that was desperate to find something to be joyful about, maybe it would be those that were constantly looked down upon and pushed aside. And so these shepherds offer us a really great, unique insight to what it means to long for and search for joy. Okay? And so we're introduced to the shepherds, and then here come the angels. You pick up in verse 9 and 10, and we get this great interaction. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I don't want to run past that. Um, I'll confess, I have no idea what that must have been. I, I can't know, I don't, I don't even know that I can really grasp it or picture it. But I would love for you, I'd really love for all of us to try just for a moment, try to imagine this group of shepherds out in these fields underneath the starlit sky, and then all of a sudden the glory of the Lord consumes them. Imagine that. Like the glory of the Lord surrounds them. Imagine being in that moment and in that space and what it would do to your heart. What we discover in this story, much like we discovered with Zechariah when he was in the presence of Gabriel, is that when the glory of the Lord fills this space, or when it, it begins to consume us, or it begins to reveal itself in the presence of angels, the response is one of fear. Zechariah was afraid. It's described here that when they are surrounded by this glory, they were terrified. And I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, this isn't just the idea of they were startled, like, oh, I didn't see you over there, angel. Like, it's a deep fear. Um, when you read this in, in the literal Greek, it actually, if we were just to read it word for word, it is they are greatly terrified, terrified. Like, there are two words to describe the level of fear and terror that they had, and then Luke adds in the word greatly. So this is a tremendous point of emphasis that the initial response, the beginning of this road towards joy started with fear. And, and I think that's an important place for us to pause and consider our own roads. I, I want to ask you this morning, what fears are you carrying? Right? The Lord's about to speak to the fears of the shepherds, and I think he's also about to speak to the fears that you might have brought into this room this morning as well. So so take a moment and assess your heart, your mind. What, what fears do you bring into this space this morning? Many of us are fearful for a lot of different things. You might be fearful for your marriage. You might be fearful for your kids. You're afraid of what's happening at work, of financial security. You're, you're fearful for health, your health, the health of a loved one. There are a lot of things that can, can kind of stir up those fears in our life that influence how we navigate the road that God has put us on. So what fears do you carry this morning? I want you to identify those and think about those, and then I want you to hear the Lord speak to you the same way he speaks to the shepherds. The angel, seeing them in this great uh, demonstration of terror and fear, says, don't be afraid. It's often how the word of the Lord begins. Don't be afraid. And I love that we have a chance to hear that in this Advent season as our year is coming to a close because it should take us back to a similar passage that we all walked through together if you were with us back in January when we started this, this whole year. And, and part of the emphasis for us was to figure out what does it mean to live courageously? That's been our theme through the whole 
years? How do we live the courageous life? And we started that conversation by looking at Joshua, right? We were in Joshua chapter one, and in Joshua's road, on Joshua's journey, here Moses has died, right? And God is now entrusting him to lead his people, lead them into the promise. And what Joshua knows is that if he's going to step into that responsibility, that means he's leading God's people into war, into battle, into uncertainty, and he's got to follow the footsteps of Moses. Absolutely, he would be fearful and, and, and nervous and concerned. And so the Lord speaks a word of encouragement to Joshua in Joshua 1 and 9. What does he say? He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord God goes with you wherever you go. Right? And so here we are again with the same words from the Lord now being offered to the shepherds in the midst of their fear, do not be afraid. And I pray you hear the Lord saying that to you in your life today as well. Whatever fears you carry, hear him speak to your heart, fear not. Now let me explain to you one of the reasons why I'm trying to emphasize that. One of the reasons I think that's so important is because fear does not lead to joy. Courage does. Can I say that again? Fear does not lead to joy. Courage does. Right? You may have fear, and it may prompt it, right? But if you live by it, if it controls you, consumes you, if it dictates how you navigate this road, fear is what causes trepidation. Fear is what causes Timidity, fear is what causes to retreat, to withdraw, to seek comfort, to seek convenience, to seek apathy. Courage is what leads you into the adventure. Courage is what leads you into the promises of God. Courage is what sets you forth on the road towards joy. And so we need to hear the words of the angel and embrace this and say, okay, we want to live courageously because it's on that path of courage that we're truly going to find joy. And so that's how the angels begin this conversation. They say, fear not, and then they explain why this fear is not necessary. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I don't want it lost on us today uh, that the news of Bethlehem, the news of Jesus, is a news of great joy. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have great joy in your life? Like if you were just going to take stock of where you are and think about the road that you're on, do you truly feel a sense of great joy? I came across uh, an article by the American Heart Association that indicated a study that more than 80%, or around 80% of doctor visits, when people go to visit their primary care physician, 80% of them are, are often determined by unmanaged stress. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? Like 80% of the time that people are going to see their doctor or their primary care physician, it's because they're stressed, right? And so if we were gonna just probably take stock of society and culture, and if we're honest, probably part of our lives, what we're gonna see is that our lives are more likely to be filled with great stress rather than great joy. And so why is that, right? Like why is that the case? And I think part of that is because we don't really understand necessarily what joy is. Right? We have a, a misunderstanding of what it is and then how to seek it and find it. And we often talk about that in, 
in church circles and in kind of Christian circles that there's a difference between joy and happiness. But you find that not just within the church arena. You see that in the secular arena as well. Uh, I came across another article that was written in Harvard Health Publishing by a Dr. Stephanie Collier. She offers a great distinction between joy and happiness that I think is very applicable for our conversation this morning. She says, joy and happiness are often used interchangeably. However, happiness technically refers to the pleasurable feelings and emotions that result from a situation, an experience, or objects. Whereas joy is a state of mind that can be found even in times of grief or uncertainty. Thus, we can work on cultivating joy independent of our circumstances. Now, that's, that's a very important distinction for us to consider. What she's saying is that happiness is, is the emotional response. That, that's the feeling you get when you have a good experience with something or, or a shiny object comes into your life or a good set of circumstances. Those are the things that make you happy. Joy is a state of mind. Joy is a perspective. Joy is an outlook. And joy can be present in grief or uncertainty. In fact, joy is not contingent upon your circumstances. That's a remarkable statement. And that's something that we have to better understand. And it's important for us to understand it because both in this article in Harvard Health Publishing as well as the American Heart Association, you know what they both make arguments for if you continue reading? Is that joy, this state of mind, is actually really good for you. Right, like studies have shown that people that are more joyful have a lower risk of heart disease, heart attack, lower risk of stroke, and often lower risk of death, and they actually live longer. It's almost as if you were designed to be joyful. And so we've got to evaluate, do I have great joy in my life? And if I don't, why is that? And I think part of it's because what we're often seeking for joy is really just happiness. Right? It's, it's something that's contingent upon our experiences, our circumstances. It's based on our emotions and our feelings. Joy is something much deeper. And I think that's what the angel begins to unearth for us that is so important in this conversation today. What you and I have to ask ourselves is that if we really want to be people of joy, then what's the source of that joy? I can't just keep chasing experiences. I can't just have it contingent upon my circumstances. It's a mindset and a perspective of life. And the only way you cultivate it is to truly understand its source. And what the angel reveals to us is that the source of your joy is found in Bethlehem. Right? It's, it's found in this baby that's been born. And so imagine this, okay? I, I want us to join with the shepherds here. The glory of the Lord reveals itself. Angels are presented and, becoming, or, and they come with this incredible message that there is going to be a great joy, not just for some people, but for all people. We should be on the edge of our seats, church. Like, tell us, what is it? How do we find it? What's the source of this joy? And the critical verse for me in this entire passage is verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Messiah, the Lord. That's it. That's the foundation for our whole conversation today is verse 11, right? It's, it's to understand and unpack for a moment the descriptions of Jesus that the angels offer with this announcement. He is not just some baby. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord. You want to know the source of your joy, that's it. Now, entire books 
have been written about those terms, Savior, Messiah, Lord. I don't have time to go through it exhaustively today, but <clears throat> excuse me, it at least warrants a little bit of, of a reflection to at least describe and define these terms and see the implications for our life, okay? Savior means rescuer, right? He is a rescuer. That's what God has sent. He has sent his son to rescue us. Right? What that shows us is that no matter what has put you on your road, no matter what your road looks like, what we all know is that inevitably at some point that road is going to be met with some form of adversity, some form of difficulty, some form of pain. And God sees you on that road and he says, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to rescue you. He sends Jesus as a rescuer. But here's what's so important for you to understand. He has not sent his son to rescue you from your circumstances. Right? He, ha he hasn't sent, you, sent Jesus to save you from your inconveniences. Now listen, you may have difficult things going on in your life, difficult struggles, and by all means, like bring those to the Lord. Pray for him to speak into them. Pray for his, for his response, his healing, his provision. And, and he very well may answer all those prayers. But you know what? He may not. He may keep you there. Knowing that adversity and hardship produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope and a hope that doesn't disappoint. And that sometimes it's good for you. He, he may not always rescue you from that. So here's, here's the key. He sends Jesus as Savior to rescue you, not from your circumstances, but from sin. <laughs> he sends Jesus to rescue you, not from your inconveniences, but to rescue you from death. Like, that's the source of your joy. This is the essence of the gospel. It is the proclamation of resurrected life. Death doesn't win. That's where you find joy. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what might come your way, God has sent you a rescuer, and he is Messiah. That means anointed one. What that means is, is that he's the chosen one. It's only happening through Jesus. This rescue, this salvation, it doesn't come anywhere else. It's not found anywhere else. It's found in the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, which is why he is Lord. Lord means master. It means ruler. It means owner. Right, so when you find this Savior, when you find this Messiah, you see him as Lord. You give him your life. You give him your heart. You follow his word and trust that he will lead you to joy. That's your source. Nowhere else. So here's what I think is the issue that we can so easily fall into. A lot of us we think we're searching for joy, but what we're really after is happiness. And so let me be very clear. If, if you are trying to find joy in anything other than Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord, it will inevitably disappoint you. Too many of us are trying to find joy from our marriage. Right? And putting unrealistic expectations on our spouse. So many of us are trying to find joy and manufacture joy from our children and what they can mean for our lives and what we can see them accomplish and do. 
So many of us are trying to find joy from our careers, from success, from money, what, fill in the blank. And the problem with that is that every single one of those things will fail you or can fail you. Every single one of those things could be taken from you like that. Any of them could betray you. Now listen, a lot of them are blessings and they can make you happy and they can point you to joy, they will never be the source of your joy. Here's what's remarkable about understanding Jesus as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. No one ever takes that away. Nothing ever robs you of that. He will not betray you. He is always faithful. He is always there. That's why he's the source of your joy. And so we need to recognize what it is that we're actually searching for and what our joy is rooted in. Now the angels continue this conversation by saying, here's how you're gonna know. There's this baby, he's gonna be wrapped in cloths, they're gonna lay him in a manger, that's what stands out, right? That this is unlike any other birth because he's been laid in a feeding trough. We talked about the uniqueness of that last week. And then just to accentuate this news, to accentuate this message, God says, you know what, I don't think one angel's enough, I'm gonna send a whole lot more. And a company of angels, like the, the host of angels, fill the sky. And with this doxology of praise, this crescendo, this climactic moment, they say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on, on whom his favor rests. What an announcement. The glory of the Lord, peace being offered to all people. A pronouncement of joy coming to the world. This is joy. Now here's the question for us. How do we pursue it? And what do we do when we find it? Well, this is where I think we get some really valuable lessons from the shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Here's what I would tell you. Uh, when you begin a search for joy, it's a search that starts with urgency. Right? Look at their response. Let's go to Bethlehem. They hurried off. Every time I read this verse, I can't help but like imagine the shepherds as like junior high kids, junior high boys that are like, let's go, you know, like they get so animated with it. But it, but it has that sense of excitement, doesn't it? Like, like that's what joy does. It creates urgency, right? Like when you wake up on Christmas morning, and, and after all the work, after all the errands, after all the buildup, all the anticipation, imagine walking out and seeing all these presents under the tree and being like, nah, I don't know, we'll get to those tomorrow. That's not what you do. Man, it's like the first thing. We're like, let's go, this is time, let's open it. Like joy starts with urgency. You hurry off, you rush off to, do you have that sort of urgency in your life, right? Joy isn't found through apathy and complacency and disenchantment, like, like joy has this urgency, this, this, deter, this determination to take this journey, to take the next step. Is that in your life? Now, what's critical about it is the focus of that urgency, right? Because we can be urgent about a lot of different things, but the focus of the urgency was they wanted to see what the Lord had told them. And I love that. And I love that idea. How would your life change if you woke up every day with the urgency to see if what the Lord had told you was true. 
Like, imagine that. Like, they just heard the word of the Lord. They heard this announcement. They're like, let's go test it. Let's go see it. Let's go see if what has been said to us is true. Imagine if we lived that way, right? It's essentially this idea of taste and see that the Lord is good. Wake up every day and think about what God has told you and live your life with that sort of urgency. Let me see what happens when I actually love my enemies. Let me see what happens when I actually serve others. Let me see what happens when I actually commit myself to making disciples. Let me see what happens when I practice forgiveness and grace and I love my family this way and I love others this way. Like if we lived with that sort of urgency to see if what the Lord has told us is good and true, how would that change our lives? That's how you search for joy. And it takes courage, right? You can't give in to fear. That's what courage allows you to do, to live with that sort of urgency. And that's what the shepherds did, and they found it just as the Lord had said. And so now they find joy, and what do they do with it? Let's keep reading. And all, uh, in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherd said to them. Man, joy needs to be shared. I love this idea, and I love that it said uh, that they spread the word concerning him. That literally means they made it known, right? So it wasn't just we're standing on the corner and we're just kind of shouting it out to the masses. It's like we're going to take the time to explain it to you. Like I'm going to take what the Lord has told me, and I'm going to explain it to you. That's what joy does, and sometimes that has um, uh, like a certain immediacy to it. Sometimes it's, it's real quick and sometimes it's long and it's this beautiful process, but the joy is always in the journey. And, and that's who I want us to be as a people and as a church, that we would take the time to share the word with others in such a way that enhances our joy. Man, this morning, you know what I got a chance to do? This morning I got to stop off at one of our Sunday school classes. We, we have enriched classes that meet at 9.30 and those change every like eight weeks or so, but there are a few classes that have been meeting for a long time. And there is a class today that got to finish their entire journey through the scripture here in January, uh, December of 2023, and they started that journey in 2006. Isn't that awesome? Faithful Believers coming together, testing to see what the Lord has shown them, right? Explain, let's make it known to one another. And they took their time with it. They, they walked through it and it brought joy to their life because joy is meant to be shared. Man, I went to go watch the Rangers win the World Series. Can I get an amen? Rangers won the World Series. Sounds so great to say that. We go to Globe Life Field. Man, we are surrounded by strangers, people I don't know. And I'm like high-fiving and hugging and fist-bumping and like, isn't this great? Because we're all cheering for the same team because when joy is shared, it enhances the joy. Joy is not meant to be a secret. And when you share it, it changes not just your life, but others. And another small little anecdote to try to bring this to life. Uh, the first day of school, and we were walking Wu to school and we were walking there as a family and we got to this crosswalk where the crossing guard works right in front of the school campus. And the crossing guard is this like giant six foot four burly of a man. And that morning, man, he had a smile from ear to ear. And every single person that he saw, he kept saying good morning to. But it wasn't this like gentle, subdued, little kind of half-hearted good morning, man. He was grinning. He was like, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Saying it and making eye contact with everyone. And everybody that he spoke to, you know what happened? They smiled. And it changed their day. Changed their whole approach to the day. 
alleviated the nerves of the first day of school because that's what happens when joy is shared. That's what happens when you commit yourself to bringing joy to the world, which is what we've been entrusted to do. Man, when you find this joy, you take it, you share it. And one of the litmus tests to see if we're sharing it well is people should be amazed by it. Like that was the response to the shepherds. Everyone who heard what they had to say were amazed at what they were telling them. Right, part of that is because the shepherds weren't just offering their own opinions. They weren't just offering their own perspectives. They were, they were saying, this is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord has done. They were pointing people back to the word. They were pointing people back to the promises of God. And there was an amazement that accompanied it. Right, because listen, y'all, it's an amazing story. God takes on flesh and dwells among us, born of a virgin, laid and a manger leading to a cross and to an empty tomb. Let me, let me say this. If that doesn't amaze you, then when you share it, it won't amaze others. Like sometimes we've lost our sense of awe and wonder. Take time this Christmas to be amazed by what God has done for you and share it for what it is. It's amazing. I think one of the reasons we struggle with that is the other thing that we learned from this narrative that we need to do when you find joy. This time we learned the lesson from Mary. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Joy needs to be treasured. It needs to be pondered. Uh, think about what it means to have Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Ponder upon that every day. Treasure that gift every day. Don't rush past it. Don't make light of it. Treasure it. Joy needs to be treasured. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be reflected upon and pondered. And you do that, and that's part of why you find it uh, regardless of your circumstances. Treasure the joy that God has given us through Christ. I'll close with this last verse, verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. God was faithful, right? And so they discovered his faithfulness and so here's what we learn in this last verse. Uh, joy doesn't stop. Can I say it again? Joy doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. They returned. I love that. The moment was over. The hype, the pomp, the circumstances, all of it, it was over. Back to the fields. Back to watching the sheep. Back to the nine to five. Back to the routine. Back to the same social outcast situation. And how did they return? They returned glorifying and praising God. In a few weeks, we'll all return to life as normal. Right? No more shopping, no more Christmas parties, no more wrapping presents, no more vacation, just back to the same old, same old, how will you return? With what mindset, with what posture? Man, I, my hope and my prayer is that we take all that we experience that opens our hearts to the joy that was found in the Christmas season and we return glorifying and praising God because joy doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. This gospel doesn't fade. It doesn't grow weary. It doesn't go tired. It's always there. 
every day, every time. So when we return, wherever that may be, let us return like the shepherds, glorifying and praising our Savior. And joy doesn't stop. And so here's the the summary, right? Let Let us embrace this gospel message with that sort of courage. Let us be courageous people that that embark on these adventures, right? Understanding that God has set us on a road, a lot of different roads, but they're all leading to the same divine encounter where heaven meets earth, this revelation of a Savior, a Messiah of our Lord. And when we discover it, let let us search for it each day with an urgency that seeks to test and see that the Lord is good, to test and see his word being true and faithful. And when we, when we discover that faithfulness, let us share it with others. Let us treasure it each and every day and let us constantly return wherever God might lead us, glorifying and praising him. Here's, here's my hope. I, I really want to be this sort of person. That's the sort of dad I want to be. That's the sort of husband I want to be. I want to be courageous. I want to be joyful. That's who I want to be as a pastor. For you all, like, I, I want to hopefully encourage you by doing my best to servant-heartedly embody this sort of courage and joy. It's what I want for you. Whatever your life will, will bring, whatever you have to navigate, that you would be someone who responds to it courageously. And as you navigate the day-to-day, you would be a joyful person. And that collectively, y'all, we would be a courageous church, a joyful church, a church that truly brings joy to the world because we have this incredible hope, this incredible peace in Christ. It's part of why I love singing that song throughout the Christmas season, Joy to the World. And here in a minute, we're going to offer it as a song of response. And we're gonna start by uh, just having you stay seated and I'm gonna ask that you continue in this posture of prayer where you have the story of the shepherds in mind, right, and you ask God to, to help you navigate your own path, to have that sort of courage, that sort of commitment to joy, that sort of urgency, that you maybe think about who you need to share it with, right, and how you need to share it. So we'll, we'll start with that posture uh, of prayer and then we'll join and we'll sing together. Now here's what's interesting about this song is I was researching a little bit this week, what I discovered is that it's gone through a lot of different iterations and it's, it's evolved through the years. You've had a lot of different people that have contributed to it. Uh, but it, the lyrics originally were not written with Christmas in mind at all, but actually the return of Jesus. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but it actually was not intended initially to be associated with Christmas, but, but that naturally began to uh, be associated in that time of year. But the lyrics were actually borrowed from Psalm 98 not borrowed, but inspired by Psalm 98. And so I was going back and I was reading Psalm 98, and this to me is is such a a great way for us to enter into this time of response. I wanna read this Psalm to you, and I want you to be mindful again that most likely if this Psalm was written by David, it was written by a shepherd. And And it captures this story that we've just walked through with these shepherds. And I want you to think about their journey. I want you to think about their own or your own and I want us to hear these words of the psalm and allow it to guide us in our time of response this morning. The psalmist declares, sing to the Lord a new song. 
for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and the people's with equity. Let us sing out with joy today, church, because today in the town of David, the Savior has been born. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. And it is our job to respond in such a way that we find joy not just in our life, but we carry this joy to the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we are so grateful, <laughs> so grateful for your rescue, so grateful that you have sent Jesus as Messiah, as Lord. God, we want our lives to bring you glory. We want our lives to be a declaration of praise. We wanna, want our lives to really capture the sentiments of the shepherd's story and the words of the psalmist that we would shout out for joy before you, our King would burst into song for what you have done. God, I pray that, that when we do this here in a moment, it would be an overflow of the Spirit's work in our life. God, that each and every heart that is gathered here this morning would be able to bring their fears to you, to bring their, their concerns, their hurts, their wounds, their, their opportunities, their, their blessings, everything that they are, and lay it at your feet. And help us all collectively be courageous people that respond to wherever you may lead us, that embark on the adventure of following you. And let us step into those promises. Let us see what you have told us. Let us test them and taste them and see that they are good and know that your hand is with us, God, and let that bring joy to our lives regardless of our circumstances. And let us be a church. Let us be families, let us be people, let us be individuals who overflow with such joy and through our lives, wherever you may lead us, we bring joy to the world. Father, we love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen.